man, I just want you to think like God loves music. Like that's such a thought, right? And you see songs of the Bible. You see Moses sings a song. David sings songs. Mary sings songs when she's pregnant with Jesus. She goes to Elizabeth. They just have a party. She just sings a spontaneous song. And you just see this through the scripture. Angels sing songs. Church, there's something beautiful when we get together and we sing and put God Almighty in the center of it all and we worship him, we honor him, we bless him in our song and we make it about him and who he is and what he's done about his grace, his power, his authority, his might, creation. It's incredible when you get worship right. Like we don't worship worship. Please be careful you don't worship worship. What is the purpose of worship is to put God in the spotlight that he would receive the celebration, that he would receive all the honor and all the glory. And man, I encourage you this week, find some time meditating before him in absolute quiet and just thinking about how good he is and thinking about his grace and his mercy, his power, his authority, and let nothing come in a way of separating you from him, right? And what is it to truly just stay close? Stay focused, stay dialed in, and stay close to Jesus. Do not drift. Stay close to Jesus. Come on, I'm pumped that you're with us. Turn with me, please. Uh, Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. We're going to get into a Bible character this morning in our series called Do Hard Things. Knowing that God is with us, that we are not afraid, that he's never going to leave us. And we know that we, as his children, are called to do hard things. And in that, man, something should take place in our spirit, in our soul, going, no, man, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to do the hard thing. God, what have you called me to that I am going to do the hard thing? And this morning, we look at, we look at somebody who is famous, someone who Jesus said, no, no woman has given birth to someone more important. I want, I want to read this to you. You stay in Luke chapter 1. I want to find this because we're going to talk about a character this morning that is a strange bird, man. He's a, little, he's a little freaky. He's a little strange. He's a little off color. And this is what Matthew 11, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says this, truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's kind of everybody, because men can't give birth, just so everyone in this place knows that. Uh, women give birth, and those born of women, I know you're all like, I know, right? We agree. So come on. That's how crazy our society is right now. It's, woo, people are nuts. But anyways, um, those born of women, there has not, I love this, arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. What? Like you're talking, okay, this is Jesus who speaks this about John the Baptist. Let me read it again. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Well, then who the heck is John the Baptist? Like, who is this guy? If Jesus, and, he, and he's speaking up to this point, Old Testament, because then he says this, I want you to get the whole context here. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And that's speaking actually even about us, New Testament saints, because we have the privilege of the cross. We have the privilege of redemption. We see the beautiful, amazing work of the cross, walking in the fullness of his spirit. So up to the time of all of Old Testament, Jesus makes this amazing, deep, deep statement on John the Baptist going, nobody has ever been as great as John. He is the greatest of everyone that's ever lived. Church, that's a huge statement. Like, who is this guy? Is he a king? 
Does he rule and reign with such great power and authority? Like, who is this guy? Well, come on, we're going to dive into this, and we're going to see the very hard thing that this guy did, that Jesus Christ said he is the greatest to be born up to this day. Church, that's huge. That's huge, coming from Jesus himself. So we're going to unpack this and say, okay, who is John the Baptist, like he must have been this amazing, incredible man of God. Like he must have done something so huge and so amazing. Like he must be that caliber. And we're going to talk about it. Come on, Father, I thank you for the day. And God, I ask that you would speak mightily in and through us. God, everybody who's here in person, God, everybody online, and God, everybody listening on the radio, God, that we would tune in and that we would hear from you. Father, I don't want to come in and just play church. God, I want to come in and honestly, with great sincerity, worship you and praise your name and put you in the center of my attention to say, God, you are great. I love you. I'm amazed by you and thank you. And then, God, we get into your word that you would speak to us that we will be different when we leave this place. So, Father, please move. Give us ears to hear. And, God, I pray that we would have eyes to see. And, God, I pray that our heart would respond to you this morning in such a way that, God, we know that we've heard from you and then we'll respond to you in such a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Come on, amen? amen. Hallelujah. 11 o'clock. You are ready. You are ready. So who is this John the Baptist, right? Must have been someone great. Must have, must have come from a great huge family. He must have property. He must have money, right? He must have fame. He must, like, like none of that. None of that. He was a guy who lived in the wilderness for about 30 years. He ate bugs and honey. He dressed in camel hair, had a big leather belt, probably didn't cut his hair, I mean, he looked like, he looked like that guy. He looked like that guy that you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. He's that guy. You're like, when you see him in Stuff Mart, like he's that freak that's in Stuff Mart, right? Like when you go to Stuff Mart, Walmart, whatever you call it, but there's a lot of stuff in Walmart, so it's Stuff Mart. So like, <clears throat> and I was in Stuff Mart yesterday and the freaks were out. Like, I don't know, uh, like, no, I'm, true story. Like I'm Walmart yesterday, I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, there was actually almost a fight in Walmart yesterday. I'm like, okay, like, I'm in a different aisle. I had to run in quick, get a $3 item. And like, like, if I'm in Walmart, I want to time myself in and out in 30, like, 30 seconds. Like, you don't want to be done, right? And there's, like, oh, this guy's just yelling. at Like, I'm like, what is happening? Of course, I'm a policeman, so I got to go check it out. And this guy is just screaming at somebody. I come around the corner, and there's nobody he's yelling. He's just yelling. I'm like, oh, freaks are out. And I'm just like, what is happening? And another guy comes around the corner and, and he looks at him and says, are you yelling at me? Well, you were staring at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, is going to happen. Right now it's going to happen. And it was just like, like John the Baptist is that guy. He's like, I don't want nothing to do with these people. Like when you would see John the Baptist, you've got to get this picture. He's a dude who lives in the wilderness He's called to a specific person of life called the Nazarite, which is one who you can't drink, you can't eat or touch dead things. Watch this. Right? You, you, you can't shave your head. You can't get a haircut. The brother wore animal, like camel hair for, for clothing with a big leather belt. 
He literally ate locusts, which are bugs. Could you imagine the swarm of locusts that come in? He just, like, we do everything to swat them away. John the Baptist is like, oh, good dinner. And he like, like, you're like, ah, like, but this is who he is. He's that freak. And Jesus is like, he's great. And he's the greatest up to this point that's ever been born from a woman. <laughs> what? Well, what was his message? What was he called to? What made him so great? John the Baptist is actually a cousin of Jesus. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, both pregnant at the same time. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. They're related, they're cousins. And we don't know how long John the Baptist was in the wilderness. We, we know very little about his upbringing. We know a lot about his birth. Very similar to even Jesus' birth, but not, not the virgin part. That's Jesus alone. But like where an angel shows up and speaks to dad, Zacharias, he speaks to dad. And, and the, the crazy thing about this whole beginning of, of the New Testament is that, watch this, God hasn't spoke in over 400 years, there's been silence. Now listen, they would go to the temple and they would pray. They'd spend time in the synagogue. They would do their, their priestly duties. They would pray. They'd put up incense as prayer. They would truly seek the Lord. They'd get into the Old Testament. Amazing, 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 amazing. All that was good. But God used to speak through angels. God used to come and speak through prophets. That's how God spoke. And there was 400 years of silence. And this angel breaks that silence to the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. This is huge. Like, this is huge. And we see that in Luke chapter 1. And we pick this up. This is the breaking of those years of silence. Then you've got the players of this. You've got Zacharias. You've got, you've got uh, Elizabeth. These guys are older in years Gentlemen, Zechariah said something here. I need all the men to pick up on it. When the angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a child, Zechariah's like, listen, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Gentlemen, pick up that he didn't say my wife is an old woman. Like he says, I'm an old man. He didn't say my wife is old. He said she's advanced. You can always get away with that one, gentlemen. Honey, you are advanced. <laughs> and if she's reading this story, she might punch you. But it's okay. Like you can say, listen, Hey, God ordained, like, honey, I'm old, but you, dear, you're advanced. Like, that's just a fun way to say this, and we can learn from my man here. And it says this. This is, this is crazy. The Bible says this about Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. It says this, verse 5, Luke, Luke, I'm sorry, verse 6, Luke 1. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the land. Hey, they had it going. Elizabeth Zechariah, they lived a life that honored God. They had a holy, healthy fear of God, Old Testament fear of God. They walked in his ways. They were blameless. They were righteous, which means right according to what God says is right. This is who they were. They had one problem. Elizabeth was barren, which means Elizabeth could not have children. And now Elizabeth is bummed because the days of her ability to get pregnant and have children have gone past. So now, and, and, and you understand this, in the Hebrew world, like children meant blessing. 
And when you didn't have children, people would look at you. This is not their case, but people would look at you with great shame. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, God is judging you. You must be in sin because you don't have children. Like, that was what this looked like. They were not in sin. The Bible gives us a very clear picture. They were righteous. They were right before God. They were blameless. Her being barren, watch this, it was on purpose for this. So when you see, God, we have done everything right. Church, I think it's so important at times to know, God, I'm serving you and I'm loving you with everything I got. Christ, I'm staying close to you and, and, I, and I'm, I'm doing it and I feel like I, there's nothing between us, but God, why isn't it going my way? Because the Bible says, in Luke 3, that when she actually gave birth, the shame was lifted. Just what happens when you learn to pray, to trust, and in the trusting, I'm called to wait. Maybe it didn't go your way, but you got to wait on God. God, I know that you know. So you got to get this big picture. Like when you see John the Baptist and you see this 400 years of silence is broken by the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah as he's, he's doing his priestly duties. And the Bible says this, that the verse, verse 11, and then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. Again, silence. This hasn't happened. Like Zechariah isn't 400 years old. All he's heard of Reading Old Testament is an angel would show up, like, or a prophet would speak. Like, so for an angel to show up, he, he's never seen this. This isn't anything of recent pattern. All of a sudden, to break the 400 years, an angel comes to this guy. So you could imagine why he's troubled. You can imagine him where he is afraid, because verse 13 says, And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard. This is him praying. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John and you will be filled with joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Here it is. Here's John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Are we trying to be great in the sight of man? Are we trying to be great in the sight of our family? We trying to be great in the sight of popular opinion? Because that wasn't John. John lived in the wilderness eating bugs and his dessert was honey. He dressed like a freak. He looked like a freak. I'm guessing the smell was, that's just a guess, but uh, that's John. And the declaration from Gabriel to Zechariah says he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. We've got to understand that. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit yet while in his mother's womb. Here we just had, you know, bread alternatives up here and we just, you know, we're speaking in our 100% our support of what they're doing with young women. And church, we are a church that strongly believes 
and that we believe that there is life in the womb at conception. It is God's gift. Like God has given a gift to women in pregnancy and that amazing child within is a gift and it is a reward from God Almighty and there is life at conception. If you ever need a biblical argument, this is one of those biblical arguments that you can see even John the Baptist from the womb was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is Bible proof that there is life within the womb. When you take that life, you are taking a life. We must understand that, right? I'm not going to preach on that, but I just want to give you like, hey, this is a good place in the Bible to go to if you need some Bible talk in regards to why we strongly believe that life starts in the womb at conception. Here's just one example of many that you can use. Okay, let's, let's get on with this. Here's an assignment. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord of God. There have been many of the sons of Israel and they have drifted and they have gone their own way and they have began to live in their sinful lifestyle. John, it's your call to turn them back to the Lord. It's your call to turn them back to the Lord. He says this, as, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I love this. The angel's like, hey, Zacharias, this is your son. I know it's a miraculous birth. I know that you're old. I know Elizabeth is old. I get it. But this is what's going to happen. She's going to get pregnant. And this man is going to be great in the sight of God. He is going to lead people from their sin back to a way for the Lord. By the way, he is the forerunner. He is going to prepare the way for Jesus. This is who your son will be. Could you imagine Zacharias, who is a priest, who knows the Old Testament. He understood the prophecies of old. He understood Jesus will come through a virgin. They knew that. They knew he'd be born in Bethlehem. They knew the whole Isaiah 53. He understood that Jesus would grow and he would be crucified on a cross as payment, as a lamb for slaughter. Like Zacharias knew all of this. And, they, and the angel was like, your son is gonna be the forerunner. He's gonna prepare the way for all of that. The Bible says that Zechariah doubted this. And the angel said, how can you doubt this? And he made him go mute for the whole pregnancy. And I don't know, maybe Elizabeth was juiced by that. Maybe she's like, I'm amazed that there's no more shame and I'm pregnant. I'm also glad that my husband can't talk. So hey, double win. Maybe it's a double win, I don't know. But he's playing this crazy game of charades and trying to define, could you imagine him playing charades with Elizabeth? Like he can't talk and he's trying to define an angel and she's going to give birth to this amazing child. Like, I don't know what those charades look like, but she got the picture of, of truly what was, what was looking like taking place here. Church, what happens when you understand sometimes when you do hard things, you've got to realize that you are under divine authority. So here we see this gentleman named John the Baptist. Like Baptist isn't his last name, by the way. <laughs> he was the baptizer. He was the one who would baptize as, as a, a pregame to Christ going, hey, listen, we are in sin and we need to repent from our sin and then we need to be baptized. That's why he is John the Baptist. And when you, when you, when you see that it started miraculously and then he, he, he's born and then at one point, he goes off into the wilderness. It probably wasn't quite 30 years, but that was his life. Whenever he was able to leave house, he found his place out in the wilderness, truly eating bugs, honey, dressed like a freak. 
And then there's a day that John the Baptist comes rolling into town. And he's now going to fulfill what God has called him to. Turn with me to Luke 3, please. I want you to see his assignment. I want you to see his assignment. You got to understand where we, we, we understand that John the Baptist was very humble. And, and this is what you got to get. Humble doesn't mean weak. Humble doesn't mean, okay, well, you can walk all over me because I'm humble. That, that's not what humble means. Because you're going to see this morning that John the Baptist was humble, but he was ferociously bold. Right? When you look at this, he was humble, but my man was bold. He was courageous. He was fearless. He wasn't concerned about the opinion of man. He wasn't concerned about the opinion of kings. He wasn't concerned about his popular view. He was concerned about God Almighty and fulfilling the call that God has given to him. And he functioned under divine authority. And church, when you get it, we are called to humility, but we are not called to weakness. We are not called to be the wimpy church. We're called to be bold, ferociously bold, ferociously courageous, ferociously fearless because we have a divine authoritative assignment from God. Yeah, we can be humble in that, which means I don't want all the attention. Which, watch this. You've heard this, and I want you to get this through the series. If you're going to do hard things, it's not about you. The most humble people realize life isn't about me. That doesn't take away from your boldness. That doesn't take away from your courage. It adds to it. It's not about me, but it's about my God. And it's about me honoring him and glorifying him and pleasing him and fulfilling the assignment that he's given me, even though it's a hard thing. I can make it not about me because it's about him, but that doesn't make me weak. That doesn't make me wimpy. This is John. This is John. Can you put up Isaiah, please? I want you to see this. John is spoke of even in the Old Testament. A few places in the Old Testament we're going to hit too. Isaiah 40. Please put that up. I want you to see this. Hey. To dinner. He's, he's not the guy. He's like the one that you're like, if you see him, you're like, ah, that guy. There he is again. There he is again. 700 years before his birth, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Like when, when this is speaking of John and his assignment, Malachi 3, very similar prophecy. This is Malachi's the last chapter in the Old Testament. 400 years before he's born. Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messengers of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is speaking of John the Baptist. He is the one that is called and assigned to prepare the way for Jesus. Who's his cousin? John the Baptist is six months older. I want you to see this. Here it is, Luke chapter 3. Verse 2, it says this. This is speaking of the time frame. And in the 
high priesthood of Ananias and, and Caiaphas, it says this, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. This is huge because you've got to get this. John spoke a message. What was the message? Number one, he pointed everybody to Jesus. By speaking, everybody needs to repent. That was his message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, where did he get this word? Where did he get his divine assignment? The divine assignment God spoke to him in the wilderness and said, John, this is your assignment. John, this is the message. You're the one. You're going before the king. You're going before the Lord. You're going before the Messiah. I need you to clear the way. I need you to get people ready. Listen, the fulfillment of the Old Testament and all of the prophecies about Jesus are now being fulfilled, starting with the virgin birth. And John, you're the guy who's going before him to get everybody ready that Jesus has come. The prophecies are true. This is the time. This is the moment in history. And John, you're the spokesperson. Could you imagine that assignment? Of everything that John could speak. Listen, Jesus is coming. And if you come to Jesus, life is just going to be so simple for you. Listen, Jesus is coming. And if you become a follower of Christ, peaches and cream for you. Hey, if you become a follower of Christ, it's nothing about prosperity. And it's nothing but fun and laughter. And everybody is just going to love you if you come to Christ. That might be a part of today's message, but that wasn't John's message. I'm not saying today's message for us. That's not what we preach. But in the, in, in the very loose, uh, lukewarm church, that's a message. John's message wasn't any of that. And amazing that John didn't even preach for popularity. You would think that his message of repent, hey, you're in sin, turn. Jesus is coming. The kingdom of God is everything that you've been waiting for. It's happening now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is coming. We need to get ready for this. And the way we get ready for this is we need to repent. Is that we need to turn. That was his message. It wasn't lukewarm and flowery. It wasn't weak. And you would think you think, who would actually show up for that message? Who would actually come and listen to that message? Church, I want you to see this. In verse 7, it says this. As we began saying it in the crowds, where there was these large crowds of people they would come from all Judea. They come from Galilee. They come from the huge surrounding area, and they would just they would just pack wherever John was speaking. People would just pack the house. It wasn't the watered down gospel. It was it was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You, you think he shied away from anybody? Where the word speaks of the crowds 
You see that that's even referencing the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes and the elders. This is the religious leaders of the day, the ones who were taxing people with such rules and regulations, the ones who were filled with such religion that they came to a point to hate Jesus. These guys, he spoke right at them and said, no, you're in sin. He, he, he spoke to them and said, you brood of vipers. Brood means generation. You generation of snakes. That's what he called them. He wasn't afraid. We see then he speaks to the tax collectors. Hey, you're cheating the people. You're stealing from the, you need to repent. You're stealing from the people. And then we see that he speaks to the soldiers. Hey, you're not treating people fairly. You're being unfair to people. So you've got the religious leaders of the day. You've got the tax collectors, which were the, the, they had a lot of money. They were the rich. And then you had the military. And then you had King Herod. And he spoke to King Herod and said, brother, you're in sin and you need to repent because you're sleeping with your brother's wife. But that didn't go over well with the brother's wife. So church, what is it when you see that his, he, he was really awkward and weird, truly, but yet Jesus said he's the greatest of any woman born, and he spoke with such divine authority. He knew his message was of God. He spoke with divine authority. He spoke this message from God. He knew what it was. He knew where it came from. He wasn't worried about popular opinion. He wasn't worried about persecution. He wasn't worried about the popular view. He wasn't worried about the worldview at the time. He wasn't worried about the religious leaders at the time. And he packed the place. I truly am thankful that you called this place home. And we as a church, we as a leadership team, we as a board, and I hope it's we as a family. We love that the Lord has blessed us with this building. This is of God. We're thank so thankful for it. We love our atmosphere. We are so grateful for our other location in Allegheny. I'm so thankful for all of this and our style of worship and we do believe that we can see that in scripture and I'm just thankful for the atmosphere that's here. I'm thankful for my team. We have the greatest staff on the planet. We have the greatest volunteers on the planet that just fill this place week after week after week. why I want you to be a part of this family is none of that. It's because Jesus Christ is in the spotlight in this place and he is the very center of our attention and we are not ashamed of the gospel and we will speak 
the whole truth and we will speak on sin and hell and damnation and rejection of God. We will speak on the truth of what sin is and immorality and we are not afraid and we are not here for popular opinion and we are not here for public worldview. We are not here. We are here to serve a divine authority and in the absolute truth of God's word to stand firm on the message of God's word and I hope that that is the reason why you are a part of this church because you trust the preaching of this church to stand firm on the word of God and to never go in a direction that is lukewarm or or woke. And I hope that is what is contagious for you. I can go in there because they're going to preach the word. I can go in there and they're going to put Christ in the center of their worship of a response that is amazed because God is good and we worship him, and we're amazed that we're saved. We're amazed by his grace, and we just want to worship him. We want to sing songs to him. We want instruments to reflect our worship of him, our voices and our posture and our atmosphere to celebrate God, and the word is true. We're not afraid to preach the whole gospel, preach the truth of God's word, and call sin, sin. Church, it shouldn't be hard to call sin, sin. This is why I want you to be in this church. There's a lot of God's blessing in this church. The building is amazing, and we're amazed by that, and God blessed us. The team, the people, incredible leadership, amazing. We are blessed. But man, I want you to come because of the Word. People didn't show up to John the Baptist because he dressed weird. It was his message that was an anointed, God-divine authority message that simply said, repent. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin to the religious leaders. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin to the tax collectors. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin to the soldiers. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin to the kings or to the government of the day. Church, is it hard for you to call sin, sin? Is it hard for you to really be bold in this? To be strong in this? Well, Sean, I think we're just supposed to love everybody. This would be cute. We're just supposed to. I don't think we should mention sin because that means people won't come to church. No, I want the reason you come to church and the reason you're inviting people to church and the reason why we have so many people in this church is because we preach the whole gospel and it's God's divine authority and God's hand of blessing and favors on this church because we are not going to back down from his word to call sin, sin. We're not afraid of that. That doesn't mean we're arrogant or prideful. No, John wasn't arrogant and prideful. He was humble, but ferociously bold. He understood the authority. He understood the anointing. He understood the message. He he wasn't concerned if they were packed out or not, but people came from all over the place to hear this man speak. message was a message you don't hear much in churches today. You hear it here. And again, I I loved it because before I started speaking in the first service, someone who's newer to the church, I don't know the gentleman's name, but he came up, shook my hand, and, and just even before church began, not knowing what I'm preaching on today, he shook my hand and said, thank you for preaching the Bible. Well, I don't know much else. Church, what is it? when you want to see God do a miraculous work because people in our region need Jesus and people need the gospel and people need the truth. 
John's message is Jesus is coming. And he called out sin. He wasn't afraid to speak on sin. He wasn't afraid to look people in the eye and say, you need to repent. He went right to the top, man. He went to the king. And in parts of his message as he was traveling, he would speak on the king. The king is in sin. He married his brother's wife. A tetrarch is a fourth. And you see this even in verse You see it in verse 19, it says this, but when Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch means a fourth. Herod the Great was his dad, split up the kingdom in four parts, gave each part to one of his sons. So he had a fourth of the kingdom. And here, under his reign, one of of the other Tetrarchs was Philip, that was his brother. Herodias is the, the woman's name, married to Philip. She took a liking to Herod. Herod took a liking to his brother's wife and then married his brother's wife. That's a really bad idea. That's immorality. And John is like, that's sin. That's sin. You need to repent. You need to change your mind to sin. Jesus is coming. You better get ready. You better get ready. Jesus is coming. That's sin. You need to repent from that and be baptized. Well, Herodias wasn't a fan of that. The woman, she liked the power. She liked Herod. Apparently, she wasn't a fan of Philip for whatever reason. She hated John the Baptist. Hated John the Baptist. And if you want to counter this, you can go to Mark chapter 6. We don't have time for that. But what takes place is this, church. This is amazing. So John spends most of his time in the wilderness. And that's where God speaks to him. And then we believe maybe he was in ministry for about a year, maybe six months to a year, maybe. Went around preaching, went around gathering huge crowds, speaking, listen, Jesus is coming. Remember, he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Don't forget that. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Church, who was John the Baptist trying to please? One. I don't want to be great in the eyes of man. I don't want to be great in the eyes of politics or public opinion. I could give two flips about any of that. I truly want to go before the Lord every single day and say, I hope I have pleased you today. God Almighty, have I pleased you today? Have I made you proud of me today as a soldier, as a son, as a follower, as a disciple? Have I pleased you today? John was great in the sight of the Lord. Again, he went after all these people, the religious leaders, the crowds, tax collectors, soldiers, and even the king. Spoke out on gossip and slander. Spoke out on lying and cheating. Spoke out on stealing. Spoke out on authority. Spoke out on immorality. What is it to speak out on immorality today? He went right to the top and said, that ain't okay. Herodias hated him for it. Well, the king has a birthday party, Mark 6. The king has a birthday party. And birthday parties were celebrated in a huge, huge, not in a healthy way. There was just, everyone was getting smashed. Everyone was just getting drunk. All the guys were around the table. He invited all his boys in, all his friends, all his leaders, all the guys. It's a dude party, right, for a birthday party. Everyone's just getting lit up. They're so drunk, they're like, okay, it's time for the dance. They would bring a female in 
to do some type of sexual dance before the guys. This is the birthday party. Well, it was Herodias' daughter who comes in to dance before the guys. And it pleased them so much. The king was so pleased with this dance. He tells her, I will give you up to half the kingdom. The daughter goes back to her mother Herodias and says, listen, I did my part. Herod said he would give me up to half the kingdom. I can ask him anything right now. I got him eating out of the palm of my hands. What can we ask for? Instantly, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. You talk about, hey, you could have half the kingdom. And you want one man who's already in prison. He's in prison at this point. So he prepares in the wilderness. Maybe he's got six months to a year of ministry. Then he's probably in jail for about a year. This is the guy that's greatest, that's born amongst women. All of his preparation, he's got a year of ministry and a year of jail. That's, that's the accomplishment. Church, he was the forerunner to the King of Kings. And he was that connector from the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah is going to come, that the Messiah is going to come, the Lamb is going to come, and he's going to be sacrificed for the sins. And John is that guy that's on the in-between of the Old Testament and then the New Testament to say, now is the time. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. So he's thrown in prison. Herodias says, I want his head. She goes back while the party's going on and says, I want his head on a platter. And she if he sends the soldiers in, they take John, cut his head off, bring that bloody nastiness on a platter as if it was a presentation and gives it to her and she gives it to her mom as a trophy. Well, Sean, that's not, <laughs> woo, that's not a great ending. Church, we've got we to stop fearing the ending as if persecution's a bad thing. As I told you in the beginning of this series, you're going to see where if you know God has called you to do a hard thing and you don't do it, there could be consequences. As in Esther, there would have been consequences if Esther didn't go through the hard plan. As with John, he went through with the hard plan. You're in sin. You're in sin. You need to repent. You need to repent. Pointing everyone to Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We need to clear the way. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to repent. We need to repent. There's sin. There's sin. There's sin. There's immorality. There's lying. There's cheating. There's slander. There's gossip. And you can just go on the dollar. There's sin. And his consequence is that his head rolled. But he did the right thing, and he did the hard thing. He wasn't worried about popular opinion. Church, why is it so hard at times to speak on sin? Why is it so hard if you truly love somebody? To let them know, man, you're in, you're in sin, and you need to repent. Because guess what? Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready. Sometimes you and I are called to do the hard thing, and that's just simply not in hate, not in aggression, not in anger, not harsh, 
but just to call out sin, to lead people to the cross. Church, you cannot be saved unless you understand sin. Sin equals death. Sin is the problem. Sin's the issue. Jesus is the solution. Until you point out sin's the issue. Jesus fixed the issue on the cross. Unless people repent from sin, there's no salvation for them. Church, maybe there is a hard thing for you that you gotta, you gotta realize. Listen, please hear me. Matthew 5 is this, and I love this. Jesus himself, he's speaking, and he says so simply, blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted for in my name's sake. Church, when you come to be a follower and a disciple of Christ, it may not just be peaches and creams, man. It may not just be a bed of roses. It may not just be easy sailing with no bumps and no persecution. That's not the gospel. No, there is me being fearless, meaning you as a believer, a disciple of Christ, fearless, unashamed of the gospel, standing firm in the divine authority of his word, and able to call out sin, because sin equals death. And I know there could be some hits to that. And I know there could be a cost to that. But I have to be okay with that because my king says that there's blessing in that. No, wait wait a minute. If my soul is good and I'm filled with joy and I'm filled with peace and I'm overflowing with hope, that's all an inside job. Even though I'm I'm calling out sin and even though I'm standing firm on the word, even though I'm not going to have any wiggle room, I'm not going to go the way of this world. I'm going to be a disciple of Christ and I want to be great in the sight of the Lord. I'm not worried about the sight of man, but I want to be in the sight of the Lord. I'm going to do my part. If that means there's moments that I have to call out sin, then we have to call out sin. There's moments that I have to do the hard thing to talk about sin. Not, Not me personally, I'm talking about us as just disciples of Christ. You've been here any time long, you know we don't have any problem calling out sin. And yes, we get the protesters, we get the people coming against us, we get the minnows trying to say dumb things. I could give two flips about the minnows, right? I don't care about the minnows. Lion ain't concerned about the opinion of the sheep, but I'm telling you, ain't worried about that. Like, we just stand on God's word because people need Jesus. People need Jesus. Sin's the issue. Sometimes you gotta do hard things. Sometimes you got to take the hits. But at the same time, we just get this picture of God Almighty in heaven. Just maybe. Saying, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're unafraid. great in my sight. They are great in my sight. We need to do the hard thing and not worry about public opinion. Not worry about the popular worldview. We do the hard thing and stand firm on his word and say sin is sin and not be ashamed of that. Take the hits. Jesus promises that you shall be blessed. I'll take that. I'll take the blessing. Come on, let's stand to our feet, please. If you need prayer for any reason, we would love to pray with you this morning.
When you want to talk more about Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Come on, as we sing this morning, if anyone needs prayer for any reason, come on up and let's pray with you. Hallelujah.